My friend was visiting, and I went to get us both some milk from the refrigerator, but it was expired, so I did the right thing by giving him a glass of the milk to drink first. And what do you know, it was spoiled. I would have drank spoiled milk if I hadn't remembered to put others first. It is also good to put others first if you have to cross an old bridge that doesn't look safe. That's when obeying Jesus' teachings can save your life. So always put others first to see if something is dangerous or not. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. See, doing it God's way always works out best, right? But we've been talking about what the Bible says about developing the kinds of relationships that God desires for us. Something I've been trying to do better at recently is to stress that the Christian life is not about trying hard to live by a set of rules in order to please God. The Christian life is really the overflow of having a real love relationship with God. So as a way of experiencing God's love, uh, I did something this past week. I spent some time just reflecting on how much God values me. It's actually something I haven't intentionally done in a long time, and it's something I think I should be doing more of, and it's probably something you should be doing more of as well. For instance, I I see my value when I just stop and consider my place in this incredibly vast universe, and I feel like the psalmist who writes in Psalms 8, I look at the heavens that your hands have made, I see the moon and the stars that you've created, and I wonder... Why are people so important to you? Why do you even think about them? Why do you care so much about humans? Why do you care so much about me? Why do you even notice? Um, It it fills my heart with humility and awe and appreciation and love when I look into one of those clear night skies where you can just see just tons and tons of stars in this huge universe. And I realize that You know, I'm just a speck of dust on this planet, which is just a speck of dust in our galaxy, which is just a speck of dust in this universe. And yet God created me with more care and more purpose than he created anything in the universe with. In fact, he takes an interest in me and he values me more than anything in this universe put together. He values me even more than the angels. And that's how he values you too. I see my value on the cross upon which my creator, my God, suffered and died and chose to take the penalty for my sins upon himself, sins I committed against him. I I see my value in, in the fact that God chose me, he wants me, and he has made a place for me in his heaven so I can spend all of eternity with him. I see my value in every day and how God has blessed my life with family and friends and health and provision, protection, and a a wonderful church family. I see my value in, in many of the prayers that God has answered And some prayers that he has answered, I think, for no greater reason than the fact that he wants to show me how much he values and loves me. Uh, I shared an example of this not too long ago, Uh, a dramatic one, especially for an athlete, for a jock. I was was on a track team here at New Mexico State, and there was a certain track meet, and I was praying that God would 
uh, helped me to throw 175 feet in this track meet, which was a pretty tall order because my best throw of the year had been 160 feet before that. So I'm in this track meet, and I'm down to my last throw, and my best throw up to that point had been 161 feet, which is still better than I'd ever thrown before, but it was far shorter than 175. So I get in the ring for my last throw, and I'm thinking about that prayer, and I let it go, and it just takes off. And uh, when it comes time to measure the throw, I'm standing at the ring while the guy's pulling the measuring tape out farther and farther, and it gets to 165, and it gets to 170, 171, 72, 73, 74. And when he lays that tape down and writes in the book, 175 feet, zero inches. What do you think the chances are of something like that happening? Why would God answer such an insignificant prayer like that? I'll tell you what I think. I think it was just so that I would know how much he loves me and how much he desires to uh, be a part of and bless every single area of my life. Could also be because um, he wanted to show everybody else at the track meet that day that he loves me more than he loves them. <laughs> you know, uh, I want to recommend that you do this because it'll do your soul some good if you just take some time, even this week, to reflect on all the ways that God has shown how much he values you. It, it'll also empower you to treat others with great value, especially as you realize how much God values them. He values them just as much as he values you. Which brings us to our topic. By the way, he values even those who hurt you, offend you, and annoy you. And that brings us to our topic. If we're going to experience relationships as God intends, we have to learn how to handle offenses with love. Because you're going to experience them in every relationship, including with the people that you're closest to. So let's, let's go, let's move forward here. Number one, love handles hurts with patience. First Corinthians 13, four, read it out loud with me. Love is patient. I think we could say that patience is how we deal with minor offenses, you know, annoyances, smaller offenses, uh, rude behavior, things like that. How many of you all have like annoying people in your life? Can I see your hand? Be honest with me. Come on, just be honest. Wow. Who do you all hang out with? Well, I have another question for you. Raise your hand if you know that you're sitting next to someone who was thinking of you when he or she raised her hand. Yeah, yeah. I have to be honest. There are certain types of people that, man, I find so annoying. And it is difficult to be patient. For instance... People who get in the express lane, 10-item express lane, and they obviously don't know how to count. Anybody feel, feel my pain here? You know, I was just in Walmart the other day, and this older woman just comes screeching in front of me and cuts, cuts me off to get in line ahead of me in the express lane. I counted. She's putting things on the conveyor belt. Eleven. And to rub it in, she grabbed a packet of bubble gum and put it on there too. Twelve. Man. 
I felt like grabbing a bag of Cheetos, sticking them in her purse, and reporting her for shoplifting. <laughs> How about people behind you who honk the second the light turns green? Don't point them out. <laughs> Which always makes me want to wait until the light turns yellow. And then I go. You know what really bothers me? is people who fall asleep while I preach. <laughs> Not yet. How about people that violate your personal space? You know? It's like, there are some people, they get closer to my face than my dentist. It's like right here. Hey, buddy, could you back up a little bit? I can actually smell my breath bouncing off your face. <laughs> and I need a mint. <laughs> Let's talk about what patience actually is. Patience is surrendering the right to God to respond to an offense in an offensive way. It's surrendering the right to God to respond in a way that devalues the other person, that attacks tears down the other person. Uh, another good definition of patience that I like is this. Patience is the art of instant forgiveness. You just immediately, when there's an offense, you say, I forget. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. So it works like this. Someone annoys you. Somebody offends you. Somebody disappoints you. You pray. You surrender your feelings to the Holy Spirit. Uh, then you get over it and you forgive that person Without even being asked, you don't even bring it up, all of which takes a nanosecond. That's how the Spirit can do it. So when that waiter gets your order wrong, in a nanosecond, you forgive that person. And you ask God to help you to respond to that person and treat that person in a way that that person understands their value to God through how you treat them. When your significant other is late, I know that never happens. But when your significant other is late, you don't pout, you don't spout. Instead, you forgive in a nanosecond without even being asked, without even having to bring it up. Again, you don't, you, no. You forgive in a nanosecond and you ask God to help you respond in a way that your spouse understands how valuable he or she is to God, you respond in a way that your spouse understands how valuable he or she is to you, and you respond in a way, listen, you respond in a way that builds up your marriage rather than tears it down. One of my favorite stories is about this woman who is celebrating her 60th wedding anniversary, and she'd had a happy marriage. And there was a bunch of younger women at the party where they were celebrating. And so they asked her, you know, what is the secret to having the long, happy marriage that you've had? And she says, well, actually, I think it's that when we were first married, on the day that we were married, I told my husband that I was going to make a list of 10 things that would offend me and bother me. That if he ever did the, one of those 10 things, I was just going to go ahead and forgive him on the spot. and He wouldn't even have to ask. And so the natural question was, well, what, what was on the list? What were the 10 things on the list? 
And she said, actually, I never made a list. Just every time, every time he did something wrong, I told him, good for you. That was one of the ten. It's pretty good, isn't it? And that's what patience looks like. It's instant forgiveness. Now, I often get this question, what if I don't feel patient? What if instead of patient, I feel angry? Or I feel um, frustrated or fed up? How am I supposed to be patient? I don't feel patient. Well, if you don't feel honest, is it okay to lie? If you don't feel like being faithful, is it okay to cheat? If you don't feel spiritual, is it okay for you to be a Denver Bronco fan? looking at my Denver Bronco fans here and there's holes burning right through my Hey I didn't hear that but I don't want to I want to know what's that Hey th- think about it seriously think about it Is it not true that in almost all cases when you need to be patient you don't feel patient that's the last thing you feel right Listen, patience is not a feeling. It is an action. It is how you behave when you've been offended, when you've been annoyed. Uh, We are not called as Christians to live by our feelings. We're called to live by faith. Patience is, is about faith operating in your choice to seek God's will and to help another person feel their value through how you treat them. As we talked last week, for those of us who've trusted in Christ to forgive us and to come into our hearts and lives, we are just as patient as Jesus is. You understand that? Because his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, now lives within our hearts. But, you know, experiencing that truth, experiencing the patience of Jesus is a process. And it's helpful. Part of that process is if you feel like you're struggling with patience, hey, meditate often on what the Word of God says about who you are now in Christ. Uh, Like, for instance, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Read it out loud with me. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Brand new. That, That means that when you become a Christian, when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you and you are made completely new. He gives you a new heart, gives you a new nature. You have the heart and the nature of Christ. So remember, because he is in you, you also possess all of the fruit of God's Spirit. Galatians 5, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What? What again? What is it again? Patience. That means you have that because the Holy Spirit is in you. You have his patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So confess and believe that the new creation that Christ has made you means that you are already all of those things on the inside. Which tells us that the Christian life is very much about learning to think and act 
like the person God has already made us to be. A person with the heart, nature, and spirit of Jesus Christ. So one more thing before we leave the patience. Realize that every situation and every person uh, that tests your patience is actually a gift. Is an opportunity for you to grow into the patient person God has made you. Look at James 1.3. Read it out loud with me. When the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. I think you could say only when the way is rough does your patience have a chance to grow. Yeah, if you get that idea down, it will change your life and it will change your relationships. You see, when your kids begin to test your patience, when your spouse tests your patience, when your parents test your patience, when, when your roommate or your coworker or the rude cashier or the waitress or the driver of that car that just cuts you off, when they test your patience, think of it as an opportunity. Instead of losing your cool, thank God that you have an opportunity right before you to grow into the person he's made you to be. I'm serious. You do that, it will change your life and change your relationships. Number two, love handles hurts with forgiveness. So if patience deals with how we handle minor offenses, I think we can say that forgiveness is how we handle the, the bigger offenses in life. And here's how we're supposed to handle the bigger offenses in life. And you're not going to like this. Colossians 3.13. Read it out loud with me. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. How many of you are thinking, no way. <laughs> no way. I can't do that. Besides, I'm pretty sure that's not in my Bible. What, what version are you reading out of there, Pastor? <laughs> well, if it'll help, let me read it out of the King James. Thou mustest forgiveth justice as thy lordeth forgaveth theeth. <laughs> it's in every version. And it really says that, and it really means that. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Impossible in our own strength. But let's read Philippians 4.13 out loud together. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Does forgiving as Jesus forgave, is that included in all things? Yeah. Yeah. If Christ lives within us, then we have the power to live like Christ, to, to forgive like Christ. Right? You know, Christ's forgiveness is not earned. It's not deserved. But is it not true that ours often must be? That we often refuse to grant somebody forgiveness until they've showed us that they deserve our forgiveness, right? Listen, not, not only does God not require us to deserve and earn his forgiveness, he is the one that initiates forgiveness with us even though we're the ones who sinned against him. Look at Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love toward us in this way, even while we were deserving of his love, right? Even while we were obeying him perfectly, right? No. God demonstrates his love toward us in this way, even while we were, read it out loud with me, still sinning against him, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
to die for us. God made the first move to forgive us while we were still what? Sinning against him. Wow. After being mocked, spit upon, beaten, flogged as he hung on that cross, they nailed him. Those who nailed him to those wooden beams, he looked at them and he prayed to the Father on their behalf. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. Had any of them asked for his forgiveness? Nope. Did they deserve his forgiveness? Nope. Earned his forgiveness? Absolutely not. Have any of them even said they were sorry? No. And yet he initiated forgiveness with them before they asked for it without deserving it. And and that's how he forgives you, and that's how he forgives me. He doesn't demand that you prove that you are worthy. He does not demand that you grovel and beg to be forgiven. He doesn't uh, wait 12 months to forgive you until you've shown you'll never do it again. He forgives. He is always the initiator He's always the one that makes the first move. He always has his arms wide open, ready to forgive, ready for you to respond to his offer. There was a father and his teenage son that kind of had a knockdown, drag out fight, and it escalated into a, to a loud verbal uh, argument. And the teenage son said some things to his dad that nobody should ever say to a parent. And so the, the father sent him off to his room. And after a while, they cool down a little bit. And uh, the boy comes walking into the room. Dad's sitting on chair. Boy walks in, head bent over, stooped, kind of a sheepish look on his face. And he says, Dad, I need to ask you something. The father rises to his feet, and he says, Son, you don't have to ask. You don't have to say a thing. I've already forgiven you. And the son looks at him and says, that's cool, Dad, but what I really wanted to ask is, can I borrow the car? (laughs) Don't you know that Dad wished he'd waited a little longer to forgive him? Understand something? That when God asks you to forgive, especially those that have hurt you badly, it's more for your benefit than it is for the benefit of the person that you're forgiving. That's why God asked you, because he loves you and he wants your best. It's more for your benefit that he asks you to forgive. See, somehow we think that by not forgiving another person that we're getting even with them. We're somehow punishing that person who hurt us. When in fact, we're only punishing ourselves. Unforgiveness robs us of joy. And it chips away at our spiritual and even chips away at our physical well-being. I heard this before. To, uh, to try to punish somebody with our unforgiveness and our bitterness, that's like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. Or I think a more graphic description of what it's like, and this comes from that uh, theological classic, The Three Stooges. I remember an episode in which Curly walks in and he walks up to Larry and he's wearing dynamite around his midsection. 
And he says, oh, this is so next time Mo punches me in the stomach, it'll blow his hand off. I thought it was hilarious. Oh, well. Anybody sleeping? Now, there are a great many misconceptions about what forgiveness is. Um, I want to take a little time to explain what forgiveness is not. Now, I don't know how else to put this, but forgiveness is not foolish. Uh, time and time again, I see individuals who have been abused or who have been cheated on repeatedly, taking their spouses, their significant others back with nothing more than an apology and a promise to change thinking that somehow that's what forgiveness requires. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Uh, Forgiveness is not earned. Trust must be earned. A trusting and untrustworthy person, a person who's shown from past behavior that they're untrustworthy, trusting a person like that is not noble, it's not spiritual, it's not Christ-like. It's foolish. Trust must be rebuilt after it is broken, especially if it's broken repeatedly. Offering forgiveness does not mean that the relationship should return to what it was before, especially if abuse is involved. Also, forgiveness does not mean that you can't press charges if there's been a criminal act committed because you just may be allowing that person to continue on and hurt somebody else. Forgiveness doesn't mean that if your spouse chooses to leave you, that you can't hire a lawyer to ensure that you're treated fairly and taken care of. Now listen to this by author Ed Allen, and I think he strikes a pretty good balance here. It's in your outline, I believe. But he writes this. He writes, love is not blind to fault, but it is patient with the fault of others. This does not mean that love does not draw lines or set boundaries. The wife of an abusive husband, the friend of an alcoholic, the parent of a drug addict or habitually irresponsible child, all these must set limits and sometimes make tough choices. But the motivation must be love. It must be with the view, a view of the long-term good of the other. It cannot be because we've run out of patience. If we've run out of patience and respond in anger, frustration, or despair, then we've run out of love. We have lost what God intended to do in us and through us. Forgiveness also does not mean you have to have warm, fuzzy feelings toward that person again. So let me just give you a quick final definition here of what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness means you give up the right to revenge. Forgiveness means you give up the right to wish Or cause pain on a person who has hurt you. We say that again. Forgiveness is you giving up the right to wish or cause pain upon someone who hurt you. And you might be thinking, well, I can't do that. I can't can't give up my right to revenge. Uh, That would be letting that person who hurt me off the hook. I can't do that. Well, look at what Romans 12, 19 says. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I 
will repay, says the Lord. So when we forgive, ultimately we're releasing that person into the hands of God. We're letting him handle it. See, by letting someone off our hook, we're putting them on God's. And although God is loving and he's merciful, he's also, one, he's a God of justice, and two, he's your daddy. And I know a little bit about being a daddy. And I know that if someone hurts one of my kids, they had better make it right And I will gladly help the person do that. Speaking of forgiving Jesus' way, listen to what Jesus says real forgiveness looks like. And this is not in your outline, but we'll have it here on the screen. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Impossible. But read Philippians 4.13 with, or repeat after me, Philippians 4.13. I can do, I can say, repeat after me. I can do, repeat after me. (laughs) Don't finish my sentence. Uh, You know, you're the ones that try to figure out the blanks in my outline before I get there, right? (laughs) Repeat after me. I can do all things things. through Christ Christ. who strengthens me. me. Does that include love your enemies? Does that include doing good to those who hate you? Does that include blessing those who curse you? Does that include praying for those who mistreat you? You all are great. It's good to be up here and be entertained. You know, you you can't. You can't do those things. You can't, not on your own. But the one who lives in you can. The one who hung on the cross. The one who looked down at those who had beaten mocked, nailed him to that cross and prayed, Father, forgive them, lives in you. Don't forget that. When others hurt you, surrender your right to revenge, surrender your right to inflict pain or wish pain on that other person. And ask Christ to make you into the person he's already made you. Let me just read this final story here. Tom McGee was a teenager who went out for a night of partying in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And while he was under the influence of alcohol, he smashed his car head on into another car. uh, In which there was a teenager named Ted Morris killing him instantly. McGee was found guilty of manslaughter. While serving his sentence, Jack and Elizabeth Morris, the parents of the boy who had been killed, expressed their forgiveness to him, and they began to come to see him when he was in prison regularly, usually with a bag of homemade cookies in hand. When Tom was released, 
no member of his family was there to greet him, to take him home. So the Morrises brought him into their own home and raised him as their own son, raised him as their own son. They helped him find a job. They helped him earn his GED. And best of all, they led him to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I would argue that the ones who benefited the most from that act of forgiveness was Jack and Elizabeth Morris, the ones who forgave. You know, I hope and pray you never have to go through a situation like that. But doesn't that so radically illustrate what it means to handle offenses with love? Doesn't it radically illustrate what Christ's forgiveness working through us can accomplish in us and through us? Listen, if you want to experience relationships by the book, if you want God not only to change your relationships, but to change you, handle hurts with love, just the way Jesus did. Let's pray. Just take a moment and just let God speak to you about any lingering bitterness, unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe God would speak to you even about patience. And let me say this, I know that there are people in this room and you have been hurt very, very badly. And this is a tough teaching. And you have had trouble letting it go. I just want to encourage you to remember that the reason God asks you to let it go is because he desires your best and that is his best. And if you'll reach out to him and say, God, I'm willing, he'll give you the strength. You need to be free of this. Let's take a moment to talk to him. continue to worship by coming to the Lord's table, celebrating communion together. And this is just a perfect time to remember as we come to the table how valuable you are to God, that he would take your place on the cross, suffer the penalty for your sins upon himself before he rose from the dead. And a perfect time for you to also remember how valuable others are to him, including those who may have hurt you or offended you or annoyed you in the past. So um, if you have not participated in communion with us before here at Messiah Park, we might do this a little bit differently than, you, than you're used to. And so we take time to explain how we do it every, every Sunday. In a moment, we're going to stand and we are going to offer God our worship and song. We're going to express our love to him, our appreciation for who he is and what he's done for us. And in the course of that, whenever your heart is ready, we want you to uh, move to one of the tables, go to one of the tables that we have set up around the auditorium here. It's pretty obvious where they are, but I do want to point one out in particular. If you have a wheat allergy, the one down 
back in the center aisle there, that one is gluten-free. When you come to the tables, you'll find a basket. And in that basket is bread. It's already been broken for you. Please take time to remember that that symbolizes, that represents Christ's body, which was broken for you, for your forgiveness. And then if you'll take that bread and if you'll dip it in the cup, remembering this represents Christ's blood, which was shed for you, for your forgiveness, and to provide you with a relationship with God, a love relationship that will last forever. And then after you've taken the bread and dipped it, you can go ahead and partake. If you'd like to spend some time on your knees in prayer and worship, you can do that. We have some kneeling pads along the front here by the stage. We also have some kneelers on the front walls, and we have some in the back as well. So if you want to spend some time on your knees, please feel free. If you want to just go back to your seat and continue to worship and pray from there, feel free to do that as well. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. And after he blessed it, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is the cup of my blood, which is poured out for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and to establish a new relationship, an eternal relationship between you and my Father who is in heaven. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Scripture says, as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We're proclaiming his love for us. We're proclaiming his value, how much he values us. Until that day, hopefully someday soon, when he'll return for us and take us to be with him forever. Let's stand and worship him. Oh
for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree. God, we just thank you, Lord, for the love that you do have for us, Lord. We just, words can't even compare to what you do for us, Lord. We love you, and we praise you. 
Father, we want you to know that we, we just worship you every single day of our lives, God, and still that in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. As could go ahead and uh, be seated. We are about to take our offering. So if you are going to take our offering, you can go ahead and, and get ready to do that. And, uh, you know, just as we heard about in our sermon this morning, that uh, <clears throat> um, we, we love others and we are patient with others and we forgive others because Christ has done that for us. Uh, and it's the same as, as we tithe and give our offering. It's because Christ has lavished his great love and forgiveness on us. And so we respond through love and forgiveness uh, through our tithes and our offerings. And so while we do that, uh, we have special guest music for Steve McIntyre. So let's give him a round of applause. Quiet the voice of doubt again And echo within me every promise Let your words be louder than my fear Speak to the void that I can't see And lift up my head in every valley Let your joy be greater than my grief And I have set my heart, set my, set my heart on you. And you have every part of me. I set my heart on you, Jesus. And you make a way where none is found. And you tell the roaring oceans to bow. I believe you're moving even now, right here, right now. And I have set my heart, set my, set my heart on you. And you have every part of me. I set my heart on you, you, Jesus. I set my heart on you. Well, nothing will ever break me, ever slay me. All my hope in you. Nothing will ever shake me, overtake me. Yes, all my hope in you. Nothing will ever break me, ever slay me. All my hope in you. Nothing will ever shake me, overtake me. Yes, all my hope in you. And I have set my heart, set my, set my heart on you. And you have every part of me. I set my heart on you, you, Jesus. I set my heart on you, you.
Nothing will ever break me, ever slay me, hold my hope in you. Nothing will ever shake me, overtake me, hold my hope in you. Check, check. All right, Steve, let's give another round of applause. That was awesome. And if you guys would join me in praying for the offering real quick. Father, we are so thankful for these tithes and offerings that have been given this morning as a response of our love for you because of what you have done for us. And we pray that you would use them to, to advance your message, God, that Jesus loves us, died on the cross for us, and, and that through these tithes and our offerings, lives would be changed, God, for eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, just a couple of announcements for you this morning. Uh, the first one is, is we have a blood drive going on right now. And so if you would like to do that right as soon as we let out from our worship service, you guys can do that. Uh, you can head to the, the blood drive truck that's parked outside and you can give blood. So if that's something you feel like that you want to do, please go and do that. Um, and also we have an awesome ministry that's starting called Grief Share uh, on June 11th. So that's tomorrow from 6 to 8 p.m. And Grief Share is all about uh, those that have lost loved ones in their life recently. So if that's you and you feel like uh, that ministry would be right for you. It will be here on main campus um, tomorrow from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, and also, this is the last, or excuse me, next weekend is the last weekend for you to bring in your bottles for our CareNet bottle drive. Remember, we've, uh, we've been filling these up with change, and we've been bringing them in uh, for our crisis pregnancy that we support. So next weekend is the last weekend to bring these in. So if you have one or you haven't grabbed one yet, you can, and bring those in next weekend because it's very important. Um, and tomorrow starts Vacation Bible School. And, uh, yeah, you know what? Let's give it a round of applause. And uh, I hope you're all volunteering, right? All of you that are clapping are volunteering. I'm looking at you. So, <laughs> um, you know what? I got to tell you, uh, last year was the first year that I had children attending Vacation Bible School. Uh, my daughter, who's now four, you know, she was three last year. And it, it really uh, was this moment that she started to engage God in a different way because she attended vacation Bible school and she was little. So she only attended, you know, one or two days, but, uh, and it's a work that has still been carried on to, to right now. Like I can still talk to her about things that she learned last year. And so if your kid is not plugged into vacation Bible school, get them signed up. If you're not volunteering and you have time, I don't know if it's too late to sign up, but it's, it's tomorrow from eight 45, uh, to noon here, uh, at MPCC main campus. And uh, we would like to spend some time to pray for that real quick. So if you would join me. God, I am so thankful for the work that you have done through Vacation Bible Schools all over our country, all over the world, just being this, this time that's a catalyst to children walking with Jesus Christ. And, and we pray that that happens this week in children's lives, in my children's lives, and so many that are out there. That you just be with the workers, that you just give them a supernatural energy that they didn't even know that they had, and a supernatural love to love on children in our community and our church that many kids would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that it would be an event that they look back to that was pivotal in their life to walking with you, God. Father, we pray that you work mightily more than we could even ask or imagine through Vacation Bible School this week, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and now I will turn it over.